This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Greetings, Gothamites. Welcome to episode 25 of Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those in the imagination. I'm Lane. And Lane, I was just walking down an abandoned alleyway and I walked on the sewer grate that opened up and just I fell right through it. And uh, now I'm here and I'm not quite sure what I'm doing, but I guess I'm ready for it. I hate it when that happens. If I had a nickel for every time it happened, then I would probably be Max Shrek. I really blame the Ninja Turtles for going in and out of those grates all the time. They're probably weakening the hinges or whatever kind of hardware they've got going on there. Is there a way of, I guess, getting a hold of the pizzas without having to pay for them? Exactly. And getting like the pizza grease everywhere. So it's just an accident waiting to happen. It, so. it totally is not safe at all. Today, I was kind of thinking about you and Pax is Latin for peace, isn't it? That is correct. Have you, as a, a sign-off for your podcast, have you ever signed off with um, Peace Out? <laughs> I have not. That is a great idea, and I don't <laughs> know why I haven't done it. So, you should you should always make puns of your own name if possible. I should. I love puns, and I will look <laughs> to do that on one of my podcasts. Yes. <laughs> the seed has been planted. It has. So out of curiosity, I looked up Batman Returns on Amazon and Goodreads. It's something my good friend Chris did on um, Bat Books for Beginners. He'd look at the rating system of whatever book they were reading. Um, on Amazon, out of 12 ratings, it has 4.4 out of 5 stars. And on Goodreads, out of 249 reviews, it has 3.72. So not too shabby. Not at all. I agree with those. I think this is a fairly good adaptation. Yeah, and you can pick it up for a couple bucks on Amazon. It's an easy find. Totally worth it. Chapter 11, Scene 1. Max opened his eyes. He was having trouble focusing. He hadn't remembered going to sleep. In fact, didn't remember much at all after he had run away from that bunch of crazy circus performers. He definitely couldn't remember how he'd gotten here, wherever he was. He turned his head. There, inches away, was a penguin staring back at him. A penguin? Max yelped. The penguin flapped its wings and yelped back. Max turned back to the chair beneath him and yelled all over again. He was dazed. And facing him, smiling at him, were all those circus crazies. So, starting with chapter 11... Before we get going, like, so we talked about, yeah. like, I made the joke about the great, and I know we, I think we discussed it before, but, like, digging into the nuts and bolts of this sewer grate that collapses. I love that gag, but so did Penguin just do that one grate, knowing that Shrek would go to it, or did he do every grate in Gotham Square, like, hoping, like, he hmm. would just show up on one of them? That is a good question. Did he put his minions to it to, like, track him down? Like, okay, loosen the grate on the corner of 35th and Walnut. What kind of system did they have? Yeah. Like, someone grabbed his ankles from... Like, I just... I don't understand the mechanics of this, and I don't remember how they did it in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it's... He just walks over it, and he falls in. I mean, and, and and you know that's what that grate was for, to capture Max. I mean, he's not using those grates in his daily routine. Um, <laughs> they're specifically for Max. So, uh, it's, it's just... That's just funny to me, but I do love that kind of gimmick. I wonder how many people fell in before Max got there, because it's a crowded <laughs> square. That's true. It was crowded. I wonder if they had a couple, and I was like, nope, not Max. <laughs> Throw her back. She's too little. <laughs> yeah. Throw her back. It's not the right one. So Max, our good friend Max, wakes up, and at first, when we read this, it's an unknown location, but turns out he's down in the sewers. He's a bit dazed, but he's with it enough to see that there's a penguin in front of him as there would be. Mm -hmm. 
and he's coming to you in a chair, and he realizes he's got a bit of an audience. We have the organ grinder, the strongman, the knife lady, sword swallower, a woman with a boa constrictor, a ratty-looking lady with a ratty-looking poodle, clowns, acrobats, stilt walkers. What's actually, if I were going to be down in the sewers, I would probably want to be a stilt walker. Yeah, definitely, because it raises you up from, you know, because, you know, there's a lot of nastiness on the floor in there. Yeah, I feel bad for these people on their tights and leotards. It's probably not really uh, keeping much out. Yeah, yeah. Not very <laughs> hygienic at all. <laughs> no. So they're, they're kind of snickering at him, and then they mysteriously fall silent. And Max hears a huge electrical generator, which I would think the power companies in Gotham would notice a, like an unusual spike on the grid. Yeah, I mean, and that's a very good point. But I mean, maybe it's been on so long that it's just kind of like they don't notice it. Or I mean, you do tend to see stuff like this in movies where electrical stuff works even in abandoned factories. So uh, right. I mean, you know, maybe there's a surplus. And uh, that's what Max is trying to dig into later, which we'll find out with his power plant. Which I guess, in in retrospect, is probably a good thing because there'll probably be a really high energy spike around Wayne Manor coming from the Batcave. Oh, yeah, totally. So, okay, yeah. It's probably good that, you know, Gotham Power is a little lax in their, uh, their monitoring <laughs> of such things. Yeah. Not quite as detailed as they, they want it to be. <laughs> so this huge uh, sparking machine is powering an enormous air conditioner. And uh, we get to mention uh, that it's kind of like a cavern. It doesn't say right out until a little bit later when it says there's hundreds of penguins living on the ice. So the air conditioner is there solely to create ice. In addition to the generator, Max starts to hear a dripping sound. So he looks around where the sound is coming from, and among the penguins, he sees an especially large penguin holding an umbrella. And the dripping is drops of water hitting the umbrella. Mm -hmm. So this quote-unquote large penguin waddles forward, and Max realizes that he is wearing a union suit. Now, I had to look this up. Yes. Have you have you heard the term union suit before? I've heard the term union suit before, and I have looked it up, but I've forgotten what it actually meant. So it's basically what we would call long johns or long underwear. Right. Okay. Right, right, right. Yeah. I think union suit is more of a British terminology, I'm, I'm thinking. Yeah. That sounds about right. Yeah. Once I learned what that was, it brought back the memory of Penguin in like this dirty long underwear. And I remember that from decades ago when I saw this. Yeah. He is definitely wearing a union suit, as they call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> So he is also wearing a top hat and shoes, both in poor condition, of course. One sentence says, A small, rotund creature with beady eyes and a beak-like nose stared back at Max. He looked like nothing so much as one of the fowls from which he got his name. The Penguin. The star of the tabloids. The legendary bird beast from beneath the streets. So this is more than just, you know, gossip on the streets. It's actually made it into tabloids that there's some kind of penguin creature running around. Yeah. Or waddling. Yeah, and I think we even get... Like in a couple of the scenes, and I forget if I even mentioned it, the, it looks like some of the pictures are like Bigfoot pictures, you know, like these fuzzy pictures on the newspaper of the Penguin Man. And uh, it's oh, very, cool. very Bigfoot-ish, you know, like 70s pictures of the Bigfoot. I, I kind of thought that was clever. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on the mutated Penguin Man version here? <clears throat> I prefer the kind of well-spoken, put-together, almost gentlemanly type you get in some versions. Right. I'm not a big, huge fan of the Cockney accent. That sounds a little... I'm not sure where I'm going for. I, I like... I kind of like the... that What they're going for here. I like the different take on it because it is kind of a one-off. When it's something that's kind of isolated, I, I, I'm more forgiving with it. If they had changed Penguin Cannon, then right. that might be something. But I don't know. What, what did you think? Like you, I mean, it's like I kind of have a feed in both pools, if you will. Uh, like... I like the idea that they're trying to do something different, like how they put them together. I thought it was a neat idea, and I think it works on paper, but I don't think it works in the movie. I don't particularly like it visually, like with the muck coming out of his mouth and the fangs and, yeah. and uh, the sunken eyes and the beak and every and his just weirdly blobby looking body. Like it, it ultimately does not work for me, and it's one of my least favorite things in the movie. Um, yeah. But I like that they were trying something different. I mean, but it, I mean, like, what if they had done that with Catwoman? Like, she was like half, like, literally half cat. I mean, that that does sound kind of weird for that. But. Uh, maybe if they had dialed it back some, maybe given him the deformity and, 
you know, his backstory of being abandoned by his parents, but also having him cleaned up a bit, taking care of himself. But, but yeah, that the muck, that weird, I, I, he just kind of went to, oh, who's, what's that British writer? Uh, uh, uh. Lovecraft? Uh, Almost very Lovecraft. But, uh, hmm, this is gonna bug me. Very, uh, too Dickensian. There we go. Oh, yeah, totally. Okay, I see that. Because it, it just kind of took, like, you're, this is a bad character, so we're going to make him really bad. Yeah. So, uh, Max is, he's speechless, and Penguin says, This is all just a bad dream. You're home in bed, heavily sedated, resting comfortably, and dying from the carcinogens you've personally spewed in a lifetime of profiteering. Tragic irony or poetic justice, you tell me. So he has an impressive vocabulary. Yeah, yeah. And I like that Max is a little bit speechless here. And we'll get, as we get a little further here in their discussion, it feels like Max is a little bit more rattled at the appearance of the penguin than he does in the movie. Christopher Walken plays him very like, wow, it's the penguin man, you know, and then just that's it. Like he's, he's that's about as much we get out of him. And after that, hmm. he's perfectly back calm and ready to ready to negotiate. I forgot that Christopher Walken was Max. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm, interesting. Uh, do they get into the movie? Well, I don't want to, I guess, give spoilers about... I, I guess I'm, I'm trying to figure out how he got the education that he did. Are we to assume that he lived down in the sewers this whole time? That would be my assumption. And you make a very good point of, like, where does his erudite little vocabulary and manners come from? Mm-hmm. And which is one thing that bugged me about the Michael Bay Ninja Turtles movies. Ugh. <sighs> Okay, so I think in previous incarnations, Splinter was originally human and he became a rat. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense. In the Michael Bay uh, newer movies, he was a rat and began to mutate into a humanoid form and learned all of his martial arts through books that fell through the sewers. Anyone want to explain to me how he learned to read? Yeah. Yep. It's more than just looking at pictures, too. There's a lot that goes into martial art movements. Oh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and yeah, anyway. Yeah, Penguin is part of the Splinter School, I guess. Yes. They are Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles have worked their way into this podcast twice now. <laughs> Gotta go for the trifecta, for the hat trick. It's only right. <laughs> so, finally, Max, you know, starts getting his, uh, getting his thoughts in order. And Penguin wields his umbrella and a great gout of fire shoots from the top of the umbrella. There's no mention of it being pointed in any specific direction, so I'm guessing it's just kind of up in the air for show. Yeah. Penguin says, Odd as it may seem, Max, we have something in common. We're both perceived as monsters, but somehow you're a well-respected monster, and I am, to date, not. Penguin's showing some, I guess, some self-awareness of how the media, how the how society looks at him, uh, which would make you wonder, then, why is he just wearing long, john long johns? But, eh, yeah, neither here nor there. Some yeah. of these stories you can't really dig into too much, otherwise it starts falling apart. But Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, I'm glad in the book it's the same as in the movie. I love Max's response to him, where he's like, I feel like monsters be a bad rap. I'm a businessman. Tough? Yes. Shrewd? Okay. I think that's, that's like, we see that in the movie, and it's like how he's not rattled anymore, and now he's kind of more in his element, kind of in negotiations with this guy, and like, and... That's how, that's just Max. It's like, you know, he's in his business mode now. Right, right. Max says, or he, he thinks that he hadn't got to where he was today by not knowing how to talk to someone as an equal. So he's he's forcing himself out of his shock. And it's like, okay, I got to talk to this guy eye to eye. And uh, that's when he, we get like the bum rap thing. And Penguin says, you know, don't embarrass yourself. I know all about you. What you hide, I discover. What you put in your toilet, I put on my mantle. Then he pats his belly. And he says, get the picture. Uh, Pax, <laughs> does the penguin eat shit? <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot of questions with this whole monologue. <laughs> and uh, it's delivered. Well, some of that is not, but uh, a lot of it is delivered the same as in the movie. But I feel like there should be more reaction out of Max in the movie yeah. for this. But the book gives a lot of good reaction to this because there's some weird stuff that the Penguin is saying. It is completely bizarre, and uh, but it's kind of funny as well. And like, why is Max flushing down his toilet or throwing down the drip? Like, I don't understand how things that he throws away gets into the sewers. He has a really odd way of disposing of things. Uh, yeah, I know. Uh, I guess, <laughs> I mean, 
I guess you would have thought that uh, that was really kind of metaphor that the penguin was saying. But I think ultimately <laughs> we're going to find out here in a second that it may be literally what he's talking about. Yeah, unless he's got the Red Triangle Circus gang out there going through his trash, that's which a is a possibility. P- yeah, that's a valid point. Yeah. So you know, Penguin shows off a couple more of his umbrellas. Like he's got one, one that has a spiraling thing that, you know, Max is like, well, is that supposed to hypnotize me? And then one can fire off a gunshot, but it's just a blank. Mm-hmm. Penguin's basically saying to Max, like, hey, I've, I've been down here long enough. I'm starting to like the smell. That's a bad sign. So it's time for me to go back up topside. And I need you, Max, and your know-how and your savvy, your acumen to help me uh, do that. He says, most of all, I want to find out who I am by finding my parents, learning my human name, simple stuff all the good people of Gotham take for granted. Max says, and exactly why am I going to help you? And, you know, Max, you're being held captive that you might want to go along with it. (laughs) That's, yeah, one reason there. (laughs) Yeah, but I do like there's some sympathetic words from Penguin here. I, you can't help but feel like, yeah, he he has kind of had it rough. He got thrown away as a baby. The fact that he can function as a human being at all is good. Mm-hmm. He just wants to find who he is. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's a pretty solid plan. I mean, we'll find out that that's like one phase of it. But just on the surface, this is a pretty great little plan, I think, by the Penguin. Yeah. In um, answer to Max's question, like, why am I going to help you? Penguin pulls out what used to be a bright red Christmas stocking that happened to be knitted by Max's grandmother. And it has the name Max sewn upon it. And Penguin says, well, let's start with a batch of toxic waste from your clean textile plant. There's a whole lagoon of this crud in the back. I love this scene. This scene is in the movie and he pulls stuff out of a stocking. But in the book, it's a little bit more detailed, like the whole tidbit about uh, his grandmother and everything. You don't get that in the movie because Max is thinking it in the book. And he's like, that looks just like the one my grandmother knit me. And come to find out, he sees there's Max written on the stocking. And I had to go back and watch the movie again. And uh, in the movie, the stocking says Max on it as well. And Mm -hmm. uh, like I I assumed, I was like, well, maybe the penguin just put that on there just to be funny. But now you get this tidbit that is probably actually Max's stocking. And I think that's a great little detail. Yeah. And, you know, Max is still trying to keep control of the situation. He says, well, that goo could have come from anywhere. Yeah. Penguin retorts with, well, what about the documents that prove you own half the fire traps in Gotham? Max says, if there were such documents and that is not an admission, I would have seen to it that they were shredded. And this is when Penguin uh, produces a stack of shiny paper. Shiny because it's covered in tape. And he says, a lot of tape and a little patience makes all the difference. Uh, By the way, how's Fred Atkins, your old partner? (laughs) So Max is starting to get a little nervous, and he says, uh, actually, he's been on an extended vacation. And uh, this is when Penguin pulls out a severed human hand, and he uses the uh, the hand like a puppet and says, hi, Max, remember me? I'm Fred's hand. <laughs> That's pretty funny. I, I really love how Penguin buries the lead for dramatic effect. He doesn't start with all this damning evidence. He's like, I'm going to put in as much as I need to play. And when Max tries to counter that, it's like, I can raise, see those stakes and raise them and keep going until you can't go anymore. You're right. He legitimately tries to get Max to help him of his own. When he doesn't, then he brings out the evidence. I like that too. Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite parts about this scene. There's a nice sentence about the penguin obviously was the master of Max's refuse, and he looked like he might be the master of Max's life. Penguin says, remember, Max, you flush it, I flaunt it. Anyway, they, they start coming up with a plan with how they can get Penguin back up into society in a way that would uh, be good PR for them both. Yeah. And this part genuinely made me chuckle. Penguin says, yeah, like, you won't regret this, Mr. Shrek. And he puts out a hand. And Max grabs it and does does his best to shake heartily. But then he realizes how cold the hand is. And he's like, wait, he he doesn't have a hand. He has a flipper. And he looks down and Penguin had had used that severed hand to shake his hand. (laughs) No, I thought that was pretty funny. Uh, so, yeah, I'm actually really liking Penguin in this. He's he's kind of sympathetic. He's clever. He's got a dark, twisted sense of humor. Um, he knows how to negotiate. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he keeps Max on his toes, which is tough to do. And uh, definitely in this first meeting with Max, like 
Penguin is at his best. I mean, he's, like you said, charming and, uh, you know, charismatic and it's fun to watch him work. He hasn't started eating raw fish yet. I seem to remember that in the movie. And he just, like, bites the stomach out of a fish. Hmm. Yeah. So, any final thoughts for Chapter 11? No, but it, it's, you know, one of my favorite scenes, you know, the uh, coming coming out of the Penguin and meeting with Max. And it's, it's a fun scene and it's a good back and forth between the two characters. Yeah. And, you know, kudos to Max for keeping his head after falling down a sewer and, right. you know, waking up to like this whole circus surrounding him and meeting the Penguin. So, he, he recovers pretty quickly. So, that's that's good. Hello everyone, this is Pax, and I'm your host for I Read Movies, the podcast all about movie novelizations. Every month I read a classic movie or TV novelization and get on here and discuss it with you. I talk about who wrote it, I talk about when it came out, I run down all the changes, additions, and oddities featured in the book compared to the movie or TV show that is novelized. I've covered such classic novelizations as the original Indiana Jones trilogy, Back to the Future, Gremlins, The Lost Boys, Predator, Jaws the Revenge, and Lethal Weapon. Do you want to know about the nuclear bomb strike in Back to the Future? Or how about all the voodoo in Jaws the Revenge, or the mini cannonball run that happens in Lethal Weapon. I talk about all these things each month on the I Read Movies podcast. I read these books so you don't have to. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Google. Chapter 12, Scene 1 Max was back in the open, out in Gotham Plaza, just like he had been the day before except that everything had changed. The businessman smiled and waved to the crowd and prayed that everything went according to plan. This time, there wasn't much of a crowd beyond a few curiosity seekers. The smaller stores here had all been trashed. Even Shrek's department store had sustained some damage. For now, the shoppers would have to go elsewhere. But in their place were all the TV news cams with their crews and well-groomed on-the-spot reporters. So on chapter 12, it's broken up into a couple scenes. And the first one is from Max's point of view. And um, it doesn't really, I, I believe it's the next day or a couple days later, because it says that he's back on street level, smiling and waving to the crowd. So that there's so many people around, all the stores are trashed. Even Shrek's department store, his store had suffered some damage. And there's news crews everywhere. I think so. This is, I think, a couple days later. And it's the press conference of his return. Which is interesting because, and I'll keep track of this, but uh, in the movie at this point, after the Max meets Penguin scene, we get in the movie Max and Selena and when he pushes her out the window. Um, that doesn't happen here. It happens much later in the book. And uh, mm-hmm. it's kind of weird because I see why they moved it because where it comes in the book, I mean, Selena would have been out of the movie for like 20 minutes. So it, it'll be interesting to see when that comes back. But um but here, yeah, we, we, we go to the uh, the press conference, which is a which is another neat scene. Okay, but yeah, that that's that is interesting about how they move the scenes around. Yeah. Uh, so the mayor is there with his wife and his infant son to make a point about family safety, and th- this was apparently one of Max's suggestions that the mayor thought was a good idea. So they're up on the stage, uh, talking to the press. And, uh, you know, the mayor is in the middle of a sentence about, you know, last night's eruption of lawlessness will never happen. And then another acrobat flips up from behind the destroyed Christmas tree, snatches the baby out of his wife's arms, stops long enough to say thank you. That was very polite. <laughs> it was. <laughs> and makes a break for an open manhole. Then we we hear the sound of a beating and cries of pain. Yeah. And the acrobat, he reemerges from the manhole without the baby and runs away. But then to the astonished crowd, the mayor's baby is raised up into the light, being raised up by the penguin. So the crowd cheered, the penguin smiled. Max had to admit it couldn't have gone better if he had planned it himself, which, after all, he had. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it it is a pretty good uh, PR move. And, uh, like, (laughs) it surprised me. Yeah, because in the movie, the acrobat does not crawl back out. And when I read it in the book, I was like, so this guy just kidnapped the baby, crawls back out of the manhole, and no one stops him, even though he had just kidnapped the baby. (laughs) (laughs) Man, the the amount of acrobats running around causing chaos in this city is interesting. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) It's just like... (laughs) It's just a daily occurrence, but everyone's like, oh, it's another acrobat. Hopefully the baby hadn't eaten recently because, you know, all that jumping and spinning around. Yeah, he did. Like, flipped around with him a couple times. Yeah. Hmm. Chapter 12, Scene 2. Alfred had paused in his hanging of ornaments on the tree. It was obvious from his expression that he didn't believe this. But then Bruce Wayne didn't believe it either. 
This morning's miracle, the man on the screen intoned solemnly, Gotham will never forget. The TV showed the abduction of the mayor's baby and the supposed miracle of his rescue by the penguin, who rose out of the sewer on top of the strangest of vehicles, a contraption that looked like nothing so much as a large rubber duck. The camera zoomed in on the rescuer. So the second scene is from Alfred's point of view, which makes me happy. So Alfred's in the midst of hanging ornaments on the tree because he and Bruce are watching something that has caught their attention on the news. So the news reporter is talking about the baby being saved and there's TV footage of a vehicle that is shaped like a large rubber duck. How did he build this? Yeah. In secrecy. I have to assume it's like uh, something from... Because he's living in the zoo, right? I was assuming it's from something from kids, the kids section of the zoo or something. Oh, is he living in the zoo? Uh, yeah, it's. I mean, it's yeah, it's Gotham Zoo, um, the okay. penguin e- exposition in the Gotham Zoo. So I have to assume the rubber big rubber duck car comes from some kids section in the zoo. That's my assumption. That would make sense because there's like barely any mention of a zoo here, uh, just kind of talking about the sewers and the penguins. Yeah. But yeah, if it, that would make much more sense of how he would have got. I, I was thinking of him building this from scratch from things people have thrown away over the years. <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been impressive. <laughs> yeah. So that, that your theory makes a lot more sense. <laughs> the announcer is like, you know, the much rumored penguin, man of the sewers, has arisen, and this bashful man beast can proudly take his place alongside our own legendary Batman. So the penguin is up on the stage, and he's kind of blinking at the light from the cameras. Penguin says, All I want in return is the chance to find my folks, find out who they are, and thusly who I am, and then with my parents, just try to understand why. Why they did what I guess they had to do to a child who was born a little different. A child who spent his first Christmas and many cents in a sewer. Definitely playing for uh, audience sympathy. Very much playing for the sympathy. And, and he's got it. You know, I feel bad for him. So. Yeah, yeah. It's a good it's a good performance. Mm-hmm. So, of course, the mention of the word parents uh, gives us the obligatory flashback to the night of the Wayne's murder. But it's very brief. So that's good. Yeah. Yes. Alfred asks Bruce if there's anything wrong. I notice he called him Mr. Wayne versus Master Bruce. And I, I was trying to think of other places where he... It seems like he would say Mr. Wayne when he's talking in third person to someone else. Like, Mr. Wayne is not available. But when he speaks to him directly, I can only ever remember Master Bruce. Yeah. Or or maybe, like, you know, if there's company or if they're out somewhere, he would call him Mr. Wayne. And only call him Master Bruce when they're in the house alone. So, I mean, that, that's a good point. I didn't think about that. Normally, he does call him Master Bruce, but he, he doesn't. Yeah. There. It was a, such a an odd thing that it stuck out to me. And we see Bruce, once again, not helping uh, Alfred with any Christmas stuff. He wasn't helping him with gifts. Now he's not helping him dr- decorate the tree. Yeah, the moody jerk. Yeah. Like, <laughs> thanks for the help, Master Bruce. Alfred still has Christmas dinner to cook yeah, and like I mean, 12 more rooms to dust really? and the I bat mean, cave to... Uh, a little help would be nice. <laughs> You're a billionaire. Hire a couple more people. Yeah, you? a couple more maids, please. <laughs> Chapter 12, Scene 3 Max smiled most pleasantly from where he stood within the entry of the Gotham Hall of Records. A short flight of steps beyond, a whole cordon of police held back dozens of reporters, hungry for a story. What do you think he'll do to his mom and dad when he finds them? A reporter asked near the door. What would you do to your mom and pa? Another reporter replied sarcastically, if they flushed you down the poop chute. Somehow one of the reporters had gotten around the cordon and was quietly mounting the steps. Max snapped his fingers and a pair of his personal Shrek security guards stepped by him to intercept the intruder. They grabbed the reporter by the elbows. Mr. Penguin is not to be disturbed, one of the guards remarked as he turned the reporter back down the steps. Moving on to scene three, it's from Max's point of view. So we're with Max at the Gotham Hall of Records, and I can almost picture this with some of those big gothic-looking statues that Gotham City tends to have. Police are keeping dozens of reporters back in line, so it must be a slow news day in Gotham for everyone. I mean, if he's the new city's darling, I can see why newspapers would want to get you know, his story on the front page. Totally. He's still fresh and new, and so anything he does now, they're going to be all over him. Right. 
So one of the reporters manages to sneak around the cordon and was quietly making his way up some steps. So Max snaps his fingers to get a two Shrek security guards to grab him. The reporter's like, the Hall of Records is a public place. You're violating the First Amendment, abridging the freedom of the press. And Max, always with an answer, says, what about the freedom to rediscover your roots with dignity and privacy? I'm like, yeah, I, I can get behind that. <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm all about, you know, freedom of the press, freedom of speech, all that stuff. But yeah, also let the man work on these open wounds in peace for a moment. So yeah, he's like, give the Constitution a rest. It's Christmas. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> totally a, a walk in thing to say. Exactly. So a reporter asks, is this penguin a personal friend of yours? And uh, Max says he's a personal friend of the whole city. So have a heart, buddy. No, yeah. <laughs> have a heart, buddy. You tell him. <laughs> Let's see. Um, so the fourth scene. I like, b- before we go, like there's one other thing they do say that uh, this was not in the movie. And I only bring it up because I really wish it had been. But uh, the reporter asks, what is the penguin going to do when he finds his parents? And uh, Shrek looks at him and says, what would you do if your mom and pa flushed you down the poop chute? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I really wish that had been in the movie because I would have loved to have heard Christopher Walken say that line. That reminds me of... Uh, what was it? Um, Pulp Fiction. Mm-hmm. When he's talking about getting, like, smuggling his father's watch out of a prisoner camp. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so, you know, he can deliver lines like that. Totally. <laughs> Chapter 12, Scene 4. There were so many records, so much to do. The penguin sat at a great table in the cavernous main hall of the records building, surrounded by hundreds of thousands of birth certificates. And the penguin had to look at every one. Occasionally, he would find what he wanted and jot it down on a legal pad. He was only vaguely aware of the noises outside, of a crowd of reporters shouting questions and calling his name. This work was far too important to be distracted by such common concerns. But as day ended and as the night descended, the reporters left at last. Still, the penguin worked by the light of a single lamp, flipping through the certificates and jotting down names, boys' names, on his legal pads. He had already filled a tall stack of these pads with names, but his work was not yet done. After all, this was only the beginning of the Penguin's revenge. Uh, So the fourth scene is from Penguin's point of view, and he's surrounded by hundreds of thousands of birth certificates. You know, at this point, I'm not really sure what the goal is. For one, that's a lot of birth certificates to go through. Yeah. And every now and then he'll jot down a name, and he's working into the night, So it makes me wonder if the records office is open specially for him. It's got to (laughs) be. They're government workers. There's no way it's staying open late into the night. Right. So he's jotting down boys' names. At this point, he already has filled a tall stack of tablets with these names, but his work was not yet done. After all, this was only the beginning of the Penguin's Revenge. Dun-dun-dun. That seems like a lot of names for what he's trying to get. A lot, yeah. I've always thought that, because in the movie, they show it too, a huge stack of uh, yellow legal packs. And I'm like, that's a lot of names. I mean, there's not, are there that many people in God? I mean, I guess so. But I mean, that many kids, that's a lot. Yeah. If he's looking for his own birth date, he would have to kind of maybe do a, a three, four year guesstimate. So I, I don't know. That's I'm not sure yet, as far as this book, what his goal is and if he's going to cross-index all of these and narrow it down until he finds ones that he can't pinpoint and say, okay, this one's left over, it might be me. Yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll see. Like, as his plan takes shape, there, I have some questions about it. Chapter 13, Scene 1. It was far too quiet. He guided the Batmobile down the deserted streets of Gotham City. Over the past couple of days, there had been almost a complete halt in heavy-duty crime. Not a single bank heist, only one bungled attempt to hold up a convenience store, hardly even any murders. It was as if the criminals of Gotham City were staying off the streets, waiting for something really big. Right. Still not a Catwoman scene. Nope. But we do have Batman. Yes. He's driving around Gotham. That reminds me, I've, I've been seeing some images of the new Batmobile around oh, on Twitter yes. the past couple of days. Yeah, the newest one, yes. Yeah, it looks it looks pretty uh, pretty sleek. Yeah, yeah, it'll be interesting to see it move on screen. Yeah, because we've been getting more and more used to like a really, almost like a, a military-grade artillery-type tank, car tank. Yeah. And this is kind of going back to something that is looks like it's built for speed and stealth, so... It'll be interesting. 
But anyway, we digress again. <laughs> so Batman's driving around Gotham, and he's reflecting on how quiet the crime has been the past couple of days. You know, no bank heists, only one bungled attempt at a holdup at a convenience store, hardly any murders. Can, can we emphasize that? That Batman is lamenting that there have been hardly any murders in Gotham lately, which means there have been right. some murders, but not enough for Batman. So, you know Gotham's bad when there's been a few murders and it's time to celebrate. <laughs> but not enough. Batman is bored, everyone. Yep, Batman, he, not he's enough. not he's, he's not after justice. He's after entertainment. <laughs> right. Hardly <laughs> any murder. I was cracking up when I read that. Batman <laughs> is lamenting the lack of murders. Though, like, some of the these crimes that he's talking about, these are, like, you know, just general gcpd level crimes right bank heists and yeah burglary convenience store thing yeah stuff i mean who cares batman shouldn't care about that yeah batman you go after the things that the police can't deal with like um you know acrobats <laughs> like like crazy criminal acrobats that's what you go after <laughs> so then we get this uh this bit of foreshadowing it was as if the criminals of gotham city were staying off the streets waiting for something really big dun dun dun, dun. So Alfred calls uh, FaceTime before FaceTime was a thing. <laughs> that FaceTime. <laughs> <laughs> and Alfred says, The city's been noticeably quiet since the thwarted baby napping, yet you still patrol. What about eating, sleeping? You won't be much good to anyone else if you don't look after yourself. And Batman says, The Red Triangle Circus Gang, their jackals offered, they hunt in packs at night. <laughs> at night? You know, Alfred's like, are are you concerned about that strange, heroic penguin person? And apparently he is because Batman has driven to the Gotham Hall of Records. And uh, he notices a policeman and a security guard on either side of the entryway, and they appear to be unconscious. And then he notices the light in one of the windows and wonders why the penguin is still inside. Maybe the Hall of Records wasn't open late, especially for him. Maybe kind of dispatched of the night guards. I'm not really sure what happened here. Yeah, it's kind of weird. I think it's more, and you do get the tail. You don't get um, Batman talking to Alfred in the movie. You pretty much just get Batman pulling up to the side of the house, the Hall of Records, and looking at Penguin doing his thing. And I think it's more Batman just wondering what Penguin is up to. Like he's yeah. like he's sniffing something out, you know, and. Is bad, like I was wondering here because the book is trying to really emphasize Red Triangle Gang here, and then there's also the Penguin. Is Batman thinking they're linked at this point, or is Batman worried about the Red Triangle Gang, but also thinking there's also something weird about Penguin, but they're not necessarily connected? That's what uh, I'm, I'm not for sure if he's linked them yet. Yeah, I guess like right now the only link would be the acrobat taking the baby, and then the baby being immediately saved by Penguin. Right. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, and Batman, like, he's thinking, he better cite his sources when he's doing his research. <laughs> That's right. I want his, <laughs> I want his bibliography when he's done. <laughs> These birth records are not yet public domain. <laughs> Chapter 13, Scene 2. Well, now, this was quite a turnout. Not only was the press out in force, but then these days they followed the penguin everywhere. But there was a huge crowd of the general public as well, including a small number of young women dressed in black. Who were they? Penguin groupies? If he had known this sort of thing was going to happen, he would have come out of the sewer sooner. Now, if he could only determine some way that he might show his appreciation for these fine, nubile young women without the press nosing around. Oh well, all things in their time. At this moment, he had other fish to swallow. The second scene of, of, in chapter 13 is from Penguin's POV. I put different time and place question mark because it's not really clear when and where it is. Uh, but it's, you know, it's later. They're not, he's not at the Hall of Records. So there's police and press and a huge crowd of the general public, including some young women dressed in black. Right. Groupies. <laughs> Penguin groupies. <laughs> yeah. So there's like an inner thought. Now, if he could only determine some way that he could show his appreciation for these fine, nubile young women without the press nosing around. Oh, well, all things in their time. At this moment, he had other fish to swallow. Horn dog. Yeah, total horn dog. But, you know, he's 
just been around uh, knife lady and penguins for <laughs> who knows how long. He hasn't had companionship, and the uh, the book leans into his his creepy lingeriness with uh, nubile young women. Yeah. So uh, it's not forgotten, and it's not shied away from either. At this point, we learn that he's in a, a cemetery. Mm-hmm. And it's a tiny private cemetery plot tucked in a forgotten corner of Gotham. And there's a well-manicured headstone for Tucker and Esther Cobblepot. It was a shame that they both had to die so young and so mysteriously. So uh, he kneels down and draws a pair of roses from his sleeve. And, you know, this is all for show. Yes. In addition to the news cameras, there's also TV and film cameras as well. And he tells the reporters... A penguin is a bird that cannot fly. I am a man. I have a name. It's Oswald Cobblepot. This is a good scene. The scene is in the movie. Um, But I didn't notice this because uh, he's thinking in his head a lot of this. And uh, he makes a comment that you read it. It's a shame the parents died so young and so mysteriously. I mean, what does that mean? Is he saying he took care of his parents at this point? There's a definite possible nod toward that. Because if the parents are there, his plan, whatever, you know, the plan that he's trying to do doesn't work. Because the whole point is he's trying to find his parents. And that's his whole, the beginning of his plan. If his parents are there, he doesn't need to do that anymore. So I'm wondering, like, did he take care of his parents years ago? And then he's just using that as cover now. That That's an interesting statement to make because that's not, I didn't pick up on any of that in the movie. Hmm. Yeah, because if he genuinely didn't know who he was then he couldn't have dispatched of or i guess he could have dispatched of them without knowing their names that is a possibility yeah uh, i don't know yeah it's a little unclear yeah it's unclear but uh, like i don't know i take it as he found out who he was or he knew and took care of his parents and then formulated this plan yeah hmm. let's see so a reporter asks you'll never get a chance to settle with them huh and you know that question went over like a fart in church <laughs> So, like, the other reporter's like, (gasps) he says, true, I was their number one son. They treated me like number two. There's other... Pax? Is that a poop joke? (laughs) I was just about to say, there are a lot of poop metaphors in this book. (laughs) But it's human nature to fear the unusual, even with all their education and privilege. My dad, a district attorney mother active in the DAR, which is Daughters of the American Revolution. Perhaps when I held my Tiffany baby rattle with a shiny flipper, they freaked. But I forgive them. So, yes, of course, the the crowd goes wild for that. It was very big of them to forgive them. Yes. Forgive them for me killing them. Yes. (laughs) Chapter 13, Scene 3. All of Gotham City was talking about the penguin. Penguin forgives parents, the paper boy called. Read all about it. I'm fully at peace with myself and the world. Get your paper. And Gotham City responded, grabbing the newsprint as soon as the papers could be dropped from the trucks. Everybody stopped whatever they were doing to read the charming news. The third scene in Chapter 13 is from Max's point of view. We're back with good old Max. And Max is looking at these newspapers, and Penguin is Gotham's media darling. And there's headlines such as, you don't need hands as long as you've got heart and stuff like that. I love uh, I love movie headlines like that. <laughs> you just see cheesy yeah. headlines. <laughs> People are on the streets are saying that abandoned penguins from the old Arctic world raised him. So, okay, so this is like an ab- abandoned, I guess, kind of zoo that leans toward Arctic creatures, maybe? Yeah, uh, yeah, that or... Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I, I guess I thought Arctic World was maybe a section of the zoo. I don't know why I thought it was like a whole zoo, but maybe it is just like a... No, maybe it is a whole zoo. And like you said, maybe the Arctic... Because most zoos have a lot of different sections. It's I don't think it'd be common for them to just specifically be uh, catered toward the Arctic World. So you're probably right. Yeah. I mean, it's all conjecture because they're not really telling you a lot. Yeah. So, uh, Max reflects that the ramshackle Arctic World building is the Penguin's hideout, and it's also where the Red Triangle Circus Gang is holed up. And Max remembers the smell. It's not really clear if that's a memory from his childhood or if it's more recent. Right. He's talking about the smell in that building. And he hopes that Penguin will be sufficiently grateful for the success of his plan when the time comes. Yep. He's always got an iron on the fire, that Max. So the fourth scene uh, is from Bruce's point of view. 
and th there's a lot of dialogue going on over here, so what say we take this up on the stage, Pax? Yes. Let's. Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time Bruce Wayne Complains About His Soup. Bruce Wayne had some reading to do. He studied the front page of the newspaper projected on the video screen before him. The page was old and yellowed, but still very readable. He had installed this special computerized microfiche reader in the Batcave for just this sort of instant access to history. He pressed a button on the console before him. The reader jumped to the next page. Red Triangle Circus put on a swell show last night with fierce lions. He read aloud from the screen before him. No, there is nothing of value in this article. He quickly hit the correct combination of keys, and the command appeared at the top of the screen. Continue search for Red Triangle. He waited a few seconds as back issues blurred by before another paper came into focus. Triangle Circus has returned for a two-week kids will love. It was still too early in the circus's career, before they had turned to a life of crime, or more likely before the police had discovered it. He hit the search key again as Alfred entered the room. The butler had brought him his supper on a tray. Oh, uh, thanks, Alfred. Bruce murmured as the butler placed the tray upon a table by his side. Alfred smiled and nodded his reply. Bruce picked up a spoon and took a sip of the soup. He blinked in surprise. It's cold. The butler nodded again, as if this news was no surprise to him. It's vichyssoise, sir. Bruce looked at the soup before him. Vichyssoise. Supposed to be cold, right? Foolish of him to think Alfred might have made a mistake. But he had to get back to his search. Mr. Wayne, does the phrase Christmas holiday hold any resonance for you? Bruce laughed. He grabbed one of the data-coded CDs from his desk and lobbed it at the other man, letting it sail through the air like a frisbee. Listen to yourself, Alfred, hassling me yesterday in my car. Alfred dutifully placed the CD in a nearby player. An instant later, he could hear his own voice. What about eating, sleeping? You won't be much good to anyone else if... Bruce picked up the remote and turned the player off. I learned to live without a mother a long time ago, thanks. Alfred raised an eyebrow, but did not otherwise respond. Very well, Bruce thought. If he couldn't get the old fellow to listen to reason, he would simply ignore him. He turned back to his reading. Triangle Circus is back. A freak show that may not be suitable for your kids. Featuring a bearded lady, the world's fattest man, and an aquatic bird boy. He turned to Alfred in triumph. There it was. Exactly the sort of thing he was looking for. Alfred still did not appear impressed. Why are you now determined to prove that this penguin, uh, Mr. Cobblepot, is not what he seems? Must you be the only lonely man-beast in town? Bruce's only answer was to read a choice part of the article. Circus folded its tents yesterday, perhaps forever. After numerous reports of missing children in several towns, police have closed down the Red Triangle's fairgrounds. However, at least one freak show performer vanished before he could be questioned. There! Alfred had to see the connection now. Bruce turned to his servant with a triumphant grin. I suppose you feel better now, sir? Did he? Bruce thought about it. What satisfaction would he get from information that the Penguin is probably a vicious criminal plotting something against Gotham City? It certainly wasn't reassuring. No, I actually feel worse. The two men regarded each other for a long moment in silence. After all, what else could be said? Alfred frowned at his employer. Eat your vichyssoise. Man, Bruce is just so ungrateful for the help that Alfred gives him. I know, he's like, he barely acknowledged him there. You're not my mother. <laughs> yeah, don't, don't <laughs> need another mother, Alfred. <laughs> oh, goodness. Fetch me some warm soup. Yeah, fishy, I've never had fishy swas, but it doesn't really sound up my alley. Cold soup never sounds like a good idea. Yeah, like the whole point of soup is to warm you. Right. 
Okay, I guess the point of soup is to nourish you, but I guess the only time I I crave soup is when I'm cold and I need something to warm me up from the belly outward. Exactly. At the end of the Vichyssoise scene, um, we do see Bruce throw Alfred a, a data CD, which is a recording of him on the Batmobile, which we talked about in that earlier scene where he's saying he wants him to get more sleep, which I mm-hmm. think is going to is like foreshadowing the recording he's going to make of Penguin that comes on uh, later. Hmm. So they bring up the data CD and him being able to record Alfred in the Batmobile here because I think we're going to they're going to use it later on. That that jumped out to me. OK, cool, 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 cool. Chapter 14, scene one. One way or another, Selina would finish this, unless it finished her first. Her pen sped across the page of the pad in front of her. She already had twelve other pages of notes that she had made from computer files, and all those pages were in shorthand. She was almost done, though. One more file to browse through, and then she could go back over her notes to see if they made any sense. Her pen stopped, and so did her heart, when she felt a hand on her shoulder. She looked up to see Max grinning down at her. This late at night? Something must be wrong. Max Slave Master never worked after six. So chapter 14 is from finally Selena's point of view. Yes, she's back now. Yay, yep. Selena. So she's in the office handwriting notes that she's making from computer files. And she's already got 12 pages of shorthand scribbled out. And there's a, a quote, her pen stopped and so did her heart when she felt a hand on her shoulder. She looked up to see Max grinning down at her. And Max says, working late? I'm touched. And Selena says, well, I'm, I'm boning up for your Bruce Wayne meeting in the morning. This is where poor Selena suffers from, you know, to, to continue with the poop metaphors, a little diarrhea of the mouth. <laughs> right? Yeah. She, needs to, <laughs> she needs to read the room here a little bit. <laughs> oh, so much. So much. So she's saying, like, I, I pulled all the files on the proposed power plant and Mr. Wayne's hoped for investment. I've studied up on all of it. I even opened the protected files. <laughs> yeah. and, and Max is like, oh, how industrious. And how did you open protected files, may I ask? Selena says, I figured your password was Finster, your chihuahua, and it was. And it's all very interesting, though a bit on the technical side. I mean, how the power plant is a power plant in name only, since it's, in fact, it's going to be one giant capacitator. And that instead of generating power, it'll sort of be sucking power from Gotham City and stockpiling it, sort of. Which is a very novel approach, I'd say. And yeah, just picture me. I'm waving my hands at her, shaking my head, going, stop, stop, stop. (laughs) I feel like maybe she's like a nervous talker because she has to know the stuff she's saying is is not a great time to say that right now. Max says, you know, and who would you say this to? And she's, uh, well, um, nobody. Max says, and it's a little on the nose. And what did curiosity do to the cat? (laughs) It's a very on the nose. (laughs) And Selena says, I'm no cat. Well, just you wait. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just an assistant, a secretary. And uh, Max says, a very, very good one. And Selena says, too good. (laughs) Yeah. Now she reads the room. (laughs) Yeah. A little, little late there. She's like, it can be our secret. Honest. How can you be so mean to someone so meaningless? What's that? That's a, a heartbreaking yeah, little line right there. That is. You're right. I agree. Yeah. So like any good villain, he kind of explains his plans before, you know, killing the <laughs> or, or trying to kill the person. He, the power plant is to be my pyramid, my cathedral, my legacy to chip. Nothing must prevent that. He's backing her up against the window and... Uh, She's like, okay, go ahead, intimidate me, bully me if it makes you feel big. I mean, it's not like you can kill me. And honey, this is Gotham City. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So, of course, he he grabs her and pushes her out the window. Yeah, and even right before that, he, like, sets fire to her notes. Yeah. Which which is not in the movie. That was like, okay, well, that's sending a message that she's in a lot of trouble right now. Yeah, Mm -hmm. Mm mm-hmm. And out of curiosity, I looked up the force necessary to break through a plate glass window. And from what I found, uh, the force necessary to exceed the 24,000 PSI strength of the glass is uh, about 60 pounds of force. So not a whole lot. So he can very definitely shove her out the window. Yeah. Huh. 
Yeah. I mean, it had to be like he fully had to commit to the shove. It couldn't be like any hesitation on his part. So that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Hmm. Poor Selena. Truth. That was a short little chapter. You have anything to add on that one? No. Like you said, it was a short little chapter. And uh, and exactly. Poor, poor Selena. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, how can you be so mean to someone so meaningless? That, that's probably my favorite line from there. And uh, uh, yeah, she'll learn to read the room. It's okay. <laughs> she will. She would definitely will. <laughs> the stuff we review, a little old, a lot of new. Come and join in all the fun. Help clean up when we're done. Come party with the professor. Come party with the professor. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy Show. Professor Frenzy Show. The Professor Frenzy Show. If you like indie comics and also like podcasts, please try The Professor Frenzy Show. Find the show in iTunes Search and Facebook. Episodes tweeted out on at Professor Frenzy on Twitter. Thank you. Chapter 15, Scene 1 She was falling, down through the darkness and the swirling snow. It was so beautiful. If you had to die, maybe this was the way to do it. She heard canvas rip as she fell through an awning. She couldn't feel anything anymore. Then she hit a second awning and a third. All the fronts of the fancy multi-story Gotham Plaza. They slowed her fall, but... She was surrounded by cold and white. She must have fallen into snow. She had no breath left in her. Help me, she managed. Somebody. Someone warm and loving. Someone above all this. Miss Kitty, she called. Her world went from white to black. So, uh, chapter 15, the first scene is from Selena's point of view. Uh, I, I felt so bad for Selena Kyle here. I thought she was dying. Right. Which I guess in a way she is. Yeah. Yeah, it's so weird. Like, I guess I had thought, well, I haven't seen the movie since I was very young. So I had assumed like she had just, she was dead and she came you know, back as like an undead thing, but maybe she survives this. But it's, I mean, to be honest, my cats would be my last thought too. <laughs> right. <laughs> no, but it's just, it, that was an, a nice, powerful little scene there. Yeah. Chapter 15, scene two. What had he done? The power plant was important to him and his future plans, certainly. Free electric power would be indispensable to his plans to undercut his competitors especially as foreign investment drove this country to its collective knees. No matter who won that battle, the Shreks would survive, but perhaps he felt too strongly about that survival to do something like this. Max shivered as he looked out the remains of the window. He would have to concoct a story, and they would certainly have to do something about the broken glass. So the second scene is from Max's point of view, and it starts, you know, with what had he done. Right away, I'm like, you don't feel any any remorse. You're just worried about how it might affect you. Right, right. And yeah, he brings that up next. It's like, what what kind of story does he need to concoct to cover it up? Right, exactly. He turns from the window where he had just pushed Selena out and he sees Chip standing in the doorway. And he's, you know, Max was like, crap, I'm going to have to come up with a story sooner than I thought. And he, <laughs> he says, it was terrible. I leaned over and accidentally knocked her out. And Chip, he nods sympathetically and he says, she jumped, she'd been depressed. And Max is kind of caught off guard for a minute. And then he's like, yes, yes, boyfriend trouble. And Chip shook his head, PMS. <laughs> oh my God. Yep. <laughs> and now I think I dislike Chip more than Max. <laughs> yeah, Chip's the worst. <laughs> yeah, Chip, you know nothing about women. <laughs> yeah, clearly. <laughs> But, yeah, wow. Guess he is a chip off the old block. Yeah, yeah, I think that's where that came from. But, yeah, yeah. he is. And, uh, yeah, Max stares at him in admiration. And I'm just like, oh, the worst. Yeah. I mean, he could have left it at, you know, she jumped, she'd been depressed. Just leave it there. Yeah. Just, yeah, just leave fine. it there. <laughs> 
Boyfriend trouble. Totally would have worked. Yeah. <laughs> Don't need to bring any misogyny into it. <laughs> exactly. Uh. Chapter 15, Scene 3. There are certain things that go beyond rational explanation. One of them is the connection felt sometimes between two spirits, lovers perhaps, who can sense each other's thoughts when they are apart, or a parent who knows something has happened to a child half-world away. But these connections are not limited to humans alone. Sometimes, at moments of extreme stress or peril, they are even shared between human and animal, master and pet, if you will, although the real dynamic is far more complicated than that. The woman who was Selena Kyle would have these thoughts later, after she was rescued. So the third scene, we're back at Selena's point of view, and I was happy about this because that means she's still alive. Mm -hmm. I remember when I watched the movie... I'll I'll come back to that when we get down to the bottom. But, you know, basically, these are just kind of abstract thoughts she's having. You know, there are certain things that go beyond rational explanation. So she's lying in the snow, half conscious, battered and bruised, and she's, you know, about to freeze to death. And she just wants to just drift off and sleep forever. And we all know that's not a good sign when it comes to hypothermia. Right. I learned... I. I listened to too many true crime podcasts, but I learned a term I hadn't heard before called terminal burrowing. Have you ever heard that? I have not. Uh, it's kind of creepy in a sad way. Um, so people who are, are lost, if they're suffering from hypothermia, you know, of course they get sleepy. Also, sometimes they get very hot right before the end, and sometimes yeah. they'll find them taking off their clothes. But another thing that will happen sometimes is they will dig under, like, you know, any kind of fallen logs or anything they can get under, which makes them then hard to find later by rescuers. But usually by that point, they've passed away. But sometimes why they're so difficult to find is because of that burrowing. And terminal burrowing is such a depressing term that I didn't know was a thing. Yeah, that, that is. I had not heard about that. That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Bringing that down. Yeah, 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 yeah. Anyway... Something is keeping her from falling into that final sleep, and it's uh, the cats. So these cats are meowing and purring, and one is Miss Kitty. Right, Miss Kitty. Yay! That's right. Yay, Miss Kitty! She climbs on her chest and and breathes into her mouth, and a Siamese purrs into her ear, and an old Tom bit her finger. Now I remember some of this from the movie. I remember the cats, or at least this Tom, I remember it looking like it was chewing on her on her hand. Yes. Yeah, the, the movie scene is very vague about what is happening. And, uh, like, if it's something mystical, if it's something as simple as, like, yeah, she's uh, falling into unconsciousness, and if she goes any further, she'll, she'll die. So the cats are there biting her to keep her aware to keep mm-hmm. her conscious it could be something as simple as that or like you mentioned that one cat is breathing into her i mean i don't know if something mystical is going on but it's also an interesting image because there's that whole uh, wives tale about cats sucking uh, the breath out of people yeah uh, when, when they're sleeping so this is kind of the opposite of that and i think that's kind of an, an interesting image to have as well and i think that is like kind of based on reality especially if it's a if it's a small child or a baby a cat, you know, can be up to twenty pounds or so if it's a fat cat, and if it lays on that chest of on an infant, it, I can see where it could smother someone sleeping. But yeah, like in the in the movie, it is it seems a lot more supernatural, mystical. But this grounds it a bit more, and I really like it for that. Yeah, yes, it does. At the end, uh, her eyes fly open, and she understood she was Selena Kyle no more. She was reborn. So she pissed. <laughs> and I'm here for it. <laughs> I am here for it as well. At first, I wasn't sure how I was going to take Selena's story arc because I had these memories of like the mystical changing into Catwoman and the cats half eating her or whatever. So it, this, this I'm liking. Yeah, yeah, I like it too. Yeah. Uh, the first few groupings of of chapters we, we kind of poked fun at a little bit, especially with the small circus not being able to be handled by the GCPD. So right. Yeah. <laughs> And poor poor Alfred, you know, buying Christmas presents, putting up the tree, and then when he tries to 
to get Bruce to take care of himself. He's like, you're not my mom. <laughs> Leave me alone, <laughs> moody teenager. I also wonder, because he said in, in one of these chapters, does the phrase Christmas vacation mean anything to you? I wonder if he was asking that for himself. <laughs> oh, that is a good point. <laughs> he was, I bet he was asking, yes, he was totally... Asking for him, or subconsciously asking for himself. Yeah. yeah. So I got family in England he hasn't seen for decades because he can't get a week off. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> oh, goodness. So, yeah, do you, you have any final thoughts on, on these groups of chapters? Uh, only that uh, that we get the curious disappearance of Selena and uh, the origin of Catwoman here. And I see yes. why they fixed it in the movie. They made it earlier just so you don't lose her because she's one of my favorite characters in the movie. And mm-hmm. uh, she's also one of my favorite in the book. So it was kind of weird to have like a couple groupings of her scenes that are so formative for her character not be like like in earlier in the book. Yeah, and I am impressed that they managed to make Chip in just a few sentences someone who I dislike more. I mean, Max is one of those people that you kind of love to hate. Yeah, because he's just so slimy and smarmy, and it's like, oh, you're 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 just one of those people, but you're kind of fun. Yeah. But then Chip lets down his mask, and it's just like, ooh, I hope you get killed first. Yeah, he's he's, <laughs> he's so cringy. Whereas uh, Max, yeah, he's not a nice person, but it's like it's always fun to hear what he's going to say. Yeah, he's very yeah. entertaining, very charismatic, and you kind of hear one you want to hear what he has to say. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, I'm I'm enjoying it. Me too. So, uh, Pax, where can our listeners find you? Uh, you can find me monthly on my uh, movie novelizations podcast. I read movies um, every month. I'm covering some type of movie novelization, and uh, I don't know when this has come out, so I don't know what the current one is going to be. Um, but uh, I've covered everything from Back to the Future to the Star Wars novels to Knight Rider even, so... Yeah, and I just listened to your Goonies one, and that one was fabulous. Yeah, that that is a great novelization, and it was a lot of fun to do. So uh, definitely check those out. I need to find that movie and and watch it again. It's such a great movie. Yes. All right. um, That about wraps it up for chapters 11 through 15. So next time will be 16 through 20. Uh, We're kind of cruising right along through this book. And uh, if you would like to reach me, I'm on Twitter at Batman Books underscore DKP, or you can email me at darknightprose at gmail.com. I would love to have any comments or questions or funny jokes or anything like that. So, yeah, so until next time, Gothamites, happy reading. Cool. All right. <laughs> I totally should have said that. Uh... Peace out. Oh! <laughs> Actually, I'm going to leave that in. <laughs> I'm having a brain fart. <laughs> More poop metaphors. <laughs> Batman was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. <laughs> <laughs>